let's pray. Oh, Lord God, uh, today we're not here just to go to church, to show up. We're here to meet you. We're here to encounter you and experience you and be addressed by you. Lord, we want to pour out our hearts before you with whatever is there, whatever we need. Um, But, Lord, we are needy people. We need your word. We need your truth. We need your healing in our hearts. And so we ask that you will do that and continue to shape us, make us, mold us in your image. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to begin a three-week series called Strange. And so you're going to hear some strange sermons the next few weeks. (laughs) The premise of this series is that once you belong to Jesus, you are no longer normal. When you belong to Jesus, your goal is not to blend in with everybody else because you belong to Jesus. And so that means you're being transformed into his image So you can just forget about being normal, right? You know, there are some universities I've heard where if you claim personal faith in Jesus, it's going to be harder for you to get on the faculty there. Your science will be held suspect. Your uh, values will be misunderstood. Your academic integrity will be questioned because you hold to these, what they look at as strange ideas. But I'm telling you, strange can be good. Strange creates curiosity. We have a theme verse for this series. It's Acts 17, verse 20, put up on the screen there. Um, This is where the the Apostle Paul uh, has shared about Jesus with the intellectuals in Athens. And so this is their response to Paul. So let's say it together. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears And we would like to know what they mean. Uh, There are index cards in the pew rack, so I'm going to invite you. Would you grab one? Copy this down. Take it home with you. Kind of think about it here through the rest of the month. Um, You know, remember, this is is the response of the Greeks from hearing Paul and what they considered strange ideas. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. We would like to know what they mean. You know, there are going to be people in your life that respond the same way. You know, you're going to be a little bit strange because you belong to Jesus and you follow him and you live for him and they're wondering, what is this all about? And some of them will want to know what this means. When the Greeks do learn more, some of them sneer. You know, some of them think he's stupid or crazy. Some of them remain curious, and some put their faith in Jesus, including a man named Dionysius and a woman named Damaris. So it's good to be strange. Being strange creates curiosity. When you're strange in a way that looks like Jesus, people are going to wonder. They're going to take notice. They're going to want to know what it means. So I would say... Be strange, like Jesus. And one way that you and I will look strange is when we exhibit strange joy, and that's what we're going to talk about today, strange joy. Now, there are two kinds of joy in the Bible. There's what I would call normal joy and strange joy. Both of them start with God. Normal joy is when 
we experience uh, the beauty of creation, the, the warmth of family and friendship, the rewards of our labors, the, the, just the blessings of life. They bring us good, normal joy. Normal joy is what the apostles Paul and Barnabas were talking about to the people of Lystra, uh, that joy, this joy that comes from the Creator to all people. They said, He, that is God, has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food, and say the last part with me, fills your hearts with joy. That's normal joy. It's Nebraska the good life joy. <laughs> it's a gift from God. It's, it, this joy is God's design, God's desire for every human being. But there is a joy that is beyond that. There's a joy beyond normal. Jesus said that if we obey him and if we keep his commands and we keep his love uh, within us, then uh, his joy will be there. John 15, verses 10 and 11, Jesus says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You see, Jesus wants you to have this joy, this complete joy. And he has shown us, uh, so here's what, the way I would say it, and in your bulletin, you can either do this on the card if you use that, or if you want to use that, there's a page inside your bulletin for taking notes. I want you to write this down if you would. There's a couple of main points that I have today. It's this. We experience Jesus' joy by obeying him and living in his love. What do you think? Does that make sense? Let's say it together. We, ex we experience Jesus' joy by obeying him and living in his love. I mentioned a few weeks ago how I've been meditating on, the, on David's 23rd Psalm a lot lately, and I'm still doing that. And you know, one thing I've noticed is that there's so much trusting obedience in, in this psalm. It talks about the sheep, uh, how, how they obey and they follow the shepherd to green pastures so they can eat. And the sheep obey and they lie down where the shepherd wants them to lie down in a good, safe place. And the sheep obey and they go where the shepherd leads them to, to drink from the calm waters. Obeying the shepherd and living in his love are one and the same. Right? Doesn't that make sense? For a sheep, live... Uh, Obeying the shepherd and living in his love are one and the same. And we experience Jesus' joy by obeying him and living in his love. And what makes Jesus' love so different, so strange, is that we can experience it even in times of sadness and sorrow and suffering you know, of course, we know that the Bible says Jesus wept. Jesus wept when his friends were sad and cried with them, and he wept when um, he, he saw the hardness of heart of, of his people. And there's another time, of course, he was in great anguish as he was making his decision about the cross. Uh, 
but, but his joy was still there. It was, it, was, it was still within that range of human emotion, never got lost. Tim Henshaw is a medical doctor. Um, he had a, really a great life, you know, good practice and, um, you know, wonderful wife, a couple of great kids. And uh, then he began to have some discomfort in his feet. Of course, that's not too unusual. A lot of us have gone through periods where our feet aren't feeling good. Uh, so he probably, you know, took his own advice and took two aspirin and called himself in the morning. I don't know, something like that. But none of the pain meds that he tried helped. Things just got worse. And then he began to experience strange symptoms in his legs and in his feet. And before too long, he was no longer able to work an entire day. On Tim's 40th birthday, he was diagnosed with a rare kind of neuropathy that his dad had, so he inherited it from his father. It produced weakness and numbness and pain in the extremities of his body. The pain became so bad, he couldn't even stand anymore. It was just unbearable. Um, he could no longer drive. He only left the house on Sundays when, with great difficulty, he used a wheelchair to go to church. For a year, he was in extreme pain 24-7, so much so that he, could, he hardly slept that whole year. After a lot of trial and error, his neurologist uh, found some drugs that finally started to give him some relief from the pain. He began to sit up again. And uh, he, as he was sitting up, he started reading the Bible again. And he started with the book of Job, the story about the man who had suffered so much and wondered why. If you've ever read the book of Job, his, Job's friends just give all these other reasons, you know, bad reasons really why he's probably suffering. And, and Job rejects all of those. And in the end, Job trusts God even though he still doesn't understand why he's suffering so much. So, so Tim read all this about Job, and then he, he read the Gospels again. He was reading about Jesus, but this time with a new perspective. He saw that Jesus chose to embrace suffering, and he saw that Jesus walks with him in his suffering. One day, Tim's seventh-grade daughter said that her feet were hurting. Mm. Within a few months, she needed a wheelchair to go to school. She had inherited that same neuropathy. You know, it's one thing to deal with a disease like that for yourself. It's a lot harder when it's your child, right? Tim uh, wanted to try to understand this, so he read the, from great Christian thinkers hoping to understand suffering philosophically and theologically and he read from people who had suffered a lot and how they had clung to their faith in God and then he says as time went by I was startled to discover joy he, he discovered joy 
He, he experienced joy in, in uh, seeing his sisters and brothers in Christ, and, and he would go to church on Sundays, and when there'd be a song about joy, he says that the, the message of the song just suddenly shot joy into his heart. He, he was shocked. He was surprised. Here's a picture of Dr. Tim Henshaw. I think it's there in the front of the doors of his church. He says, life is still difficult. I still must arrange my day around pain. But I know that is not the point of my day. It is not the point of my life. He says, desperation and hopelessness need not define us. There is love now. And, most unexpectedly, there is joy. It's the joy that only comes from Jesus. Strange joy, even in our suffering. Jesus told us to expect suffering, didn't he? He said, it's going to happen. Don't, don't expect a pain-free life. He called us to rejoice even in the worst of times, even when we're accused and abused. Jesus told his disciples, Luke 6, 23, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. You know, I was thinking about that verse, how Jesus told that to his disciples and how that prediction came true for them. Please open your Bible, if you would, to Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Uh, there are pew Bibles in the rack in front of you if you want to use that. It's on page 1095 in those. And uh, if we don't have enough Bibles in your row, just, you know, share with your neighbor. And I want to say also, maybe you're here today and you don't even own a Bible. Well, just take that pew Bible home. That would be, that nothing would please us more. That way you'll have a Bible you can read at home and you can bring it to worship with you. Now, in this passage, just so you kind of know the chronology, by this time Jesus has already been resurrected. He's ascended into heaven. Um, sometime after that, the disciples are hauled in before the high council called the Sanhedrin. Rhymes with excedrin, just so you know. And I guess they were a pain, right? But, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, but the disciples, now called apostles, they're not going to shut up. They're not going to stop talking about Jesus. Verse 29 says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. And so they just keep talking about Jesus. The Sanhedrin wanted to just pull the plug and execute all of them. But one of them, as, as uh, Vicki read for us a little bit ago, Gamaliel, he gave a speech advising caution. Now, skip down to verse 40 with me, would you? If you're on the Pew Bible, that's on the next page. Verse 40. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, here they are, flogged with whips. You know, a lot of times it was 39 lashes or, or sometimes they used rods 
And, and so their, their backs are bloodied. There are probably some broken ribs. Um, it's going to take a while to recover. I mean, this, was, this is serious stuff. And the implied threat from the Sanhedrin is that death awaits them if they keep speaking up about Jesus. And then we find this amazing verse, Acts 5.41. This is the one that really inspired me for today's message. Are you with me on verse 41? Let's all say it together. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. So look at them. These Beaten people are rejoicing. They, I, I can just see them giving high fives, you know, fist bumps, you know, like they just won a big game. What an honor to be dishonored for the name of Jesus. Now, I don't want, to miss, I don't want you to misunderstand. These guys aren't masochists. I mean, they're not saying, hey, flog me again. That was fun. They're not doing that. Suffering is never something we seek out, but it's something we're willing to face, to obey Jesus. You know, in the first century, and even beyond that, Jesus' people became known for this strange kind of joy. Jesus' brother James said this. It's in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, and you know, just to interrupt here a little bit, I mean, I look at that, my first reaction is, what? That's crazy. To, uh, to face all kinds of hardships and trials and troubles, and you're telling me to call it pure joy? And James saying, yeah, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So hardships met with faith produce perseverance, and that leads to spiritual maturity. You see, hardship is an opportunity for you to grow spiritually, right? Hardship is an opportunity for you to grow spiritually. So when it happens... Don't, don't, don't curse it. God's going to do something good in it. God's going to use it in your life in a powerful and positive way, even though it hurts. Here's one way to say it. When life does its worst to me, God does his best in me. That's my reason for joy. Let's say it together, shall we? When life does its worst to me, God does his best in me. That's my reason for joy. So I'm not saying that we welcome suffering. I, we don't invite suffering. I mean, after all, Jesus went around healing people, didn't he? Alleviating suffering. I mean, that's kind of what we do in his name. But I also have to decide how I'm going to face my own suffering, my trials and my troubles my hardships, because when my faith is tested through those things, I have to decide how I'm going to respond. Will I recognize them as opportunities to see how God's going to work in my life, or will I just see them only as opportunities to complain? I rejoice because God will use hardship to refine my character. 
I will rejoice because God will use trials to mature my faith. I will rejoice because God will use troubles to expand my love. So I say, bring it on. Bring it on. Some of you have heard me talk about my friend George. When I met George, he had already beaten cancer four times, four or five times. A couple years after I met him, the cancer returned. In his previous bouts with cancer, though, he had already worked through the big questions, you know, like, why me, and, you know, where are you, God? I mean, he'd already, he'd already done battle with all that. And his character had been refined, and his faith had matured, and his, his trust in God had come into full bloom. I remember visiting with George in the hospital, and there he was. He was so sick, and yet he was so full of life and so we just we were there and we we talked and we we laughed and and yet it wasn't a superficial kind of laughter it was deep it was true it was strange joy when life does its worst to you God does his best in you that's your reason for joy George was released from the hospital, and uh, the next month we were able to get together again, and that was great, and, but I didn't realize that how short his time would be. The next month, he died. And when I heard that he had died, I remembered something that he had said to me. He said, in heaven, there are no conservatives or liberals. <laughs> in heaven, we all become like Jesus. I was honored to read scripture at uh, George's memorial service. So I was there with all the people who knew and loved him and there was sadness and there was grief and there was joy in the midst of it. When life does its worst to me, God does his best in me. That's my reason for joy. Two weeks ago, Tricia and I were in Kentucky visiting her family. Her father has been in a nursing home nearly two years, suffering from Lewy body dementia. Are you familiar with that one? Second only to Alzheimer's in the kind of dementia people face. And when I think about the worst that life can do to you, this may not be at the top of the list, but it's pretty high on the list. And I have to confess to you, sometimes I'm, I'm there and I, it's hard for me to see how God is at work in this situation. You know? But I do know that on Wednesday nights, a husband and wife come to the nursing home with their karaoke machine and they sing gospel songs. And uh, I got to tell you, they are really bad singers. Just, <laughs> Just so you know, it's really, it's, you know, but they love it, you know. And I have been there with him on a number of occasions where, you know, he's there in the lobby with all the other residents. He's just smiling and tapping his foot and singing along, and he experiences joy. 
the dementia is getting worse now. He's more distant from us than he used to be. Even back in January when we were there last. But we have faith. We have faith that God is with him in the deepest places, even maybe that we can't tell. And we have faith that one day God will bring him home and his joy will be complete. So even in our sorrow, we cling to that hope, to that strange joy. You know, in some ways I feel like I'm not really qualified to give a sermon like this because I, I haven't suffered much in my life. I, I haven't really been tested that way. But last year, I went through several months of personal suffering. I won't give you any details about it, but my family knows, some of my friends know. It was not a happy time. It was a hard time. But Jesus was there. And I followed him and obeyed him. And as best I could, I lived in his love. And I believe that in the deepest place of my soul, the joy was still there, even though much of the time it was hidden from me. I just have faith that it was still there. It's kind of when, like when you look down into an old-time well, you know, and you want to try to see the water at the bottom, deep down in the well, and so you, you put your head down and you, cu you cup your eyes around your face to block out some of the light, and you have to wait a long time for your eyes to adjust. And if you wait there long enough, you, be, you begin to see a little glimmer of reflection from light hitting that water. And you realize it's still there. It's hard to see sometimes, but it's still there. The joy is still there. And I can tell you that while my time of suffering has passed that I went through last year, I can still see and I'm still experiencing the good that God is bringing from it, the healing that God is bringing from what I've been through. That's my reason for joy. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, uh, sometimes we just want life to be easy and pain-free and not to have any problems, and God, your job is to fix it whenever they happen. And yet, Lord, we are starting to see that you want to do something deeper in us. That you want to give us a strange joy that is able to withstand suffering and hardship and trials and troubles. And so, Lord, we, we pray, Jesus, that you will give us that. Help us to, to follow you and obey you and to live in your love. No matter what happens, in spite of what happens, because of what happens. So, Lord, we're, we're putting our trust in you. We want to walk in you, with you. Um, we want to have the same kind of joy that you had, that your joy may be in us and be complete. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Sing like this. 